How many of you got your Bible? Pastor Daniel said to bring your Bible. Anyone got a physical Bible? <clears throat> Praise God. How many got it on your phone? You could raise it up. I said in the first service to Pastor Paul, we're not in Brooklyn. You can show your phone. Go ahead. You can raise it up. How many got your Bibles? Your Bibles. Praise God. I see the balcony. Bibles. Bibles. <clears throat> Praise God. Well, Pastor Daniel asked me to share on two verses, and uh, he, he was right. He said there's a lot in those two verses, and there is a lot in these two verses. And so I'm going to ask you to open to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, title of the message is Never Forget, Never Forget. And then there's going to be a lot of verses that are going to go up on the screen, and you don't have to try to follow in your Bible, or it may take a little time. You could always take pictures or go back and watch it again. <clears throat> For I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life, or maybe in your translation it says the righteous will live by <clears throat> faith. Now, verse 16 is the gospel message. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not Ashamed of the gospel, living in that, that Roman period where Christians would be dipped into wax and then lit on fire to be candles for Nero's light. <clears throat> I'm not ashamed of the gospel where people would go around and say Caesar is Lord or Nero is Lord. That was the, the saying of the day. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel in a place where Christians would get clothed with animal skins and get thrown into a coliseum for sport and watch people would watch the animals eat them. But verse 16 is the gospel. So what is the gospel? What is the good news? Now there's two things that in order for the gospel to be the gospel, and we're going to go through some false gospels today too, but the true gospel is repent and believe. Those are not my words. Those are our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's words early <clears throat> in the gospels. He said repent and believe. Repent from what? Believe in what? So you can't have one and think you're saved. There's no salvation without repentance. The repentance is a turning from sin. It's a turning away from what God calls sin. It's, it's a surrendering of our life to Jesus. Now, it's not enough just to say, I want to try really hard to be good. I don't want to sin anymore, and so I'm going to walk away from those things and believe in nothing. Then the belief part, belief in what? Belief in Jesus Christ's work on the cross. His finished work on the cross, that his death was for you and I, for the penalty for our sin, that it can take the place of our sin, that punishment was enough, his blood was perfect, and we're going to talk about that as well. But there has to be both. It's not enough just to believe. The devil knows who Jesus is. <clears throat> the devil knows he's Lord and Savior. And so there needs to be a repent and a believe. Now, I'm grateful for a church that our main goal is not that everyone leaves happy when they leave church. Because what I'm going to share with you is, again, in the scripture, the Bible says no one is good. You are not good. I am not good. Your children are not born saints. The Bible says that no one is good. Only Jesus is good. And this is very important as we go through verses 16 and 17 because if we're still holding on to, I know I'm not good enough to go to heaven, but I'm good enough here on earth to live out a good life, we're not going to see the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. The cross, salvation, is available to everyone and anyone. 
If you look at the verse, it says the Jew first and also to the Gentile. We know that the Lord came first to them. There was a spurn, there was a despising of the message. It went to the Gentile. But have to know that the, the message of salvation is for everyone. It's for your co-workers. It's for your family members. It's for your enemies. And I love this because it, it cuts right into the heart. This verse could have just said that the message is for everyone. But there's a specific message of the Jew and the Gentile. The cross is for every Jewish sinner, every Gentile sinner. On Saturday, if you're driving through Muncie and you're upset that you're in traffic, it is for all the people that are walking by the gospel message. When you're going into a store shopping and you see certain people dressed in religious garments, the gospel message is for them. When you go to work and people have a different skin color than you do, and they may be your boss, and they may not be that nice. <clears throat> the gospel message is for them. The gospel message is for those who've hurt you. The gospel message is for everyone. Now, without getting into debate, some people say, well, pastor, is it, is it I'm already chosen? Am I not chosen? Do I make a choice? What do we do? If you would ask me, I believe it's both. I believe Jesus is lifted high, draws all men to himself. It's not his desire that any should perish. And so there's a drawing, but there's a response that we have to make. He doesn't make robots, and so we make a choice, and so there's a drawing, and then we choose to respond to that drawing. Now, verse 16 is almost free. Now, what do I mean by that? Billy Graham, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything. Verse 16, now the I'm not ashamed part costs Paul everything, but the gospel is free. The gospel is nothing that you and I did, and we're going to talk about that more in a moment. But discipleship, which is verse 17, cost everything. It cost your yes. It cost sometimes our lives. <clears throat> it cost everything. One translation says in verse 17, we go through the Christian life faith to faith. Faith to faith. Start to finish by faith. Doesn't mean we'll never sin again, but we're changed. We have new desires. The victory is not ours. The victory belongs to the Lord. The victory is Jesus's. He won the victory. How many of you were in the Garden of Gethsemane? How many of you were nailed to a cross? And even if you were, how many of you were sinless before you went? None of us. Jesus said, it is finished. He finished the work on the cross. He demolished the power of darkness. He knocked the devil out, and he won the victory. Now, what does this mean for us as a Christian? We see verse 16 is the gospel. Verse 17 is discipleship. Verse 17, I want to talk some other verses that wrap around and, and, and make even further sense of what verse 17 is telling us faith to faith. First, Philippians 2.13, they'll be on the screen. For God is working in you. This is his promise for the believer God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It's him working inside of us. When we become a Christian, God promises to give us a new heart, a new mind, and a new spirit. The old way of thinking, now we have to reprogram this new mind. But we don't think the same way. We don't treat people the same way. There's something else inside of us, as we heard some of the testimonies saying, don't, don't say that anymore. 
Don't go there. Don't spend time with that person. Get out of that relationship. Go to church. Get here on time. Be okay with parking in the far parking lot and not illegally by the dumpster. Don't worry about the 1 o'clock Knicks game because most of you were never a Knicks fan last year. We're here. God wants to speak to us. There's no rush. What are we rushing to? Now, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, love these verses. The Apostle Paul makes it so clear. He said, oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. as a measure of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we get that by faith, not by being good boys and girls. We didn't get that because we had everything worked out. Think about the moment. Now, for some of us, we were saved at a young age. For those of us that saved a little older, think about what you were the moment before you prayed that prayer. Did you do a lot of good things and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came inside of you? No, you got desperate, cried out to the Lord, and God's Spirit came inside of you. It wasn't by obeying the law. It wasn't by obeying the commandments of God that we received the Holy Spirit. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? It's the Old Testament. It's a different way that God would relate to people. We're going to talk about that in a moment, what new covenant is. But understand that if you were obedient to the Lord, you would see victories you would see blessings financially. You would see blessings with children. Now, God still does bless obedience. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. But understand that in the new covenant, that you give your life to the Lord, you may not live very long in some countries. So it says, I ask again, did you, how did you get the Holy Spirit? How does God move among you? Because you obey the law, of course, not as because you believe the message you have heard about Christ. In other words, as a Christian, many of us, we understand that we can't get to heaven. I think that sometimes that's the easier part. We can't get to heaven. I, I need to be forgiven of sin. I know I'm not a perfect person. And so I need to be forgiven of my sin. But some of us are wired this way, and so it's a little bit more challenging. And also in our culture, we push this as, to kids as young as young. We say, now I became a Christian, thank you, Jesus, but now I'm going to take it into my hands, and now I'm going to be good. I'm going to do all the right things I'm supposed to do. The, the reality is, if I would ask you to question, and please don't raise your hand, if I would ask you to question that today, God will give you the offer, and he won't give you this offer, he'll give you the offer of, you can still go to heaven, but you don't have to be a Christian anymore. You can still go to heaven and you don't have to be a Christian anymore. There would be people that would raise their hand because they're so exhausted from striving and trying to be good. 
They're trying so hard to get out of struggles. They're trying so hard, and so they're exhausted. If you wake up in the morning thinking about all the things you're not supposed to do, that's not Christianity. Jesus gives you a new mind and a new heart. You set your things on things above now. You set your mind on his promises and on his power. 2 Peter 1, starting at verse 3, tells us where we actually live a godly life. There are two things. It's his power and his promises. Verse 3, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. His divine power. Thank God for a church that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Daniel, there's some churches I think that, that they think the Holy Spirit's a criminal. Can't even be welcomed into the church, into people's lives. They're so afraid of maybe excess that people have seen. There's even some churches that believe none of the spiritual gifts exist anymore. There's not one Bible verse for that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so thank God for the power of God. It's the power of God. How do you receive the power of God? You ask for the power of God. The whole Christian life is asking for what we need. And so the divine power has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Now, if you're still striving and trying in your own strength, thank God for his mercy. He lets us fail over and over and over again until we come to the end of ourselves. You know there's a coming to the end of yourself after you become a Christian? And it's not with drugs, and it's not with alcohol, and it's not with other things like that. It's actually with trying and striving. You come to the end of yourself when you say, God, I cannot do this. And he says, thank you. Now move over and let me do it. By his divine power. Verse 4, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. In the book of Romans, when, on one sixteen, when it talks about the gospel, the word is dunamis, dynamite power. We hear that a lot in the book of Acts. The gospel is powerful. The good news of Jesus Christ is life-changing power that comes on the inside. Nobody had to give me a list of rules. Now, I didn't know everything right and wrong, and I'm still learning. I was still reading the Bible to know what's right and wrong. But there were certain things in my life that they just went. They went. Because I had an encounter with God. I was driving home from the University of Maryland. Opened up my heart to Jesus. Driving home in a car. Wasn't an altar call. Wasn't in a church building. But I had an encounter with God. The Bible became real. It was a supernatural experience. And so you have his power and his promises. The promises are to live a godly life. They're not to get all our dreams fulfilled. Sometimes we, 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 we plan these plans and then we try to put promises on top of our plans hoping that somehow God's going to get tricked up and he's just going to bless our plans. Covenants. All the covenants in the Old Testament required a death. All of them were broken by man. God would have his side and man would fail. Somebody once said, even Adam, he didn't even have a sinful nature. He only had one rule. He couldn't even keep it. And so Jesus had to be born fully man and fully God. There's a new covenant. The covenant is between the Father and the Son. The Father talks. It's in the Old Testament. You could read it. The Father has a conversation, and, and he's having a conversation with his son saying, I need to send someone to the earth. I need to send who will go, and I'll go. I'll go, and I'll die. Jesus, that's his end, right? Not, and also say whatever God wants him to say. Do whatever he wants him to do. And the Father promises, anyone I put in your hand, uh, no one will take them out. I'll raise you back up to life. You'll come back home with me. 
There's an agreement between the Father and the Son. That's why I said before, how many of us were in the Garden of Gethsemane? How many of us were sweating blood? None of us. And because the Father and the Son kept covenant, it's called a new covenant. It's the way that God relates to his people. No more is it us making promises to God. It's believing God's promises to us. It's like if Pastor Daniel and I all of a sudden got a call from the Knicks. And they said, hey, we'd like you to join the team. More people laughed in the first service. I think they, they're, they're suspect of our basketball skills, Pastor Daniel. I'm going to tell you that. And so we get on the team, and the Knicks take it all, and we don't play for one second. Guess who gets the benefits? We do. We get the benefits between the covenant between the Father and the Son. And when we are born again, we come into the family of God, we get the promises of God. The promises of God are only for his children. Now there's spiritual laws in place like reaping and sowing. But when we say that God works all things out for the good of those who love him, these promises are conditional. They're conditional that you are part of the family of God. And so it's all his power and his promises. That's why we need both. If you've never heard the saying before, all word, talking about the Bible, all word and you dry up. All spirit and no word, you what? You blow up. And so we need both. It's both. It's the power of God and the word of God. Power of God and the word of God. We even need the power of God to read the word of God and understand the word of God. And so there was a death in the new covenant. It was Jesus' death. And that's why the Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but it says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body, trusting in the Son of God. Trusting in the Son of God. So pastor, what do we do? Aren't we supposed to sign up in our all-in card? Aren't we supposed to be here every Tuesday? Aren't we supposed to do more? Isn't there more I'm supposed to do as a Christian? The disciples ask the same question. It's in John chapter 6, 28 to 29. It'll be on the screen. It's amazing because Jesus is the one who answers. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, there's only one work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in Jesus. That belief is entrusting your whole self to. And what happens when we entrust ourselves to Jesus? He gives us a new heart, a new mind, and a new spirit. You know what's going to happen with that new heart? You're going to want to serve. And you're going to want to be here another day. And you're going to want to tell somebody about Jesus. And it's not under compulsion. You're going to want to tithe. Because it's not under compulsion. You have a new heart, new mind, new spirit. Now you're believing. Jesus said, just believe in me. Just trust me. Just fall in love with me. And if you fall in love with me, I will take your life places you could never imagine. I will do through your life things you could never think could be done. He says, just believe. For some of you in this place, stop the striving. Stop the trying. I used to work at a Christian school as the dean of students, dean for discipline. This is a Christian school. It was in the Bronx. Sorry. 
No, I'm sorry. It was upper Manhattan. <laughs> we just blamed the Bronx for everything. <laughs> it was close. We, if we did an evacuation drill, we actually walked to the Bronx. I don't know if that was a good idea, but anyway. <laughs> I'm only kidding. All right, so I used to work at a Christian school, and so when kids would misbehave in their class, they would send them to me. And I wasn't very liked by some teachers because I guess they wanted me just to give them a, I don't know, a, a verbal lashing, send them back to class. And, and I used to tell kids, you can't be good. Stop trying to behave in class. Tell them the truth. Listen, you, you, you got some sense of, you know, we're made in the image of God, so we, we have some sensibility. But you see, as the gospel is getting less and less frequent, just look around the country. <laughs> and I would, you know, share the gospel. You could have a new heart, though. You could be a brand new student. John 6.63 says, the spirit alone gives eternal life. NLT is the only translation out of the main ones that actually says eternal. Most of them just say the spirit alone gives life. You want real life, it comes through the Holy Spirit. Human effort accomplishes nothing. This is Jesus speaking. He sounds like a lot of preachers on YouTube today. No, he doesn't. And the very words I've spoken to are spirit and life. You know, one of the and sometimes it's out of maturity or discipleship or not understanding what new covenant is. But when, you hear, when I hear Christians say, and, and I used to be there, when, when I hear Christians say, I need to work on it. It breaks my heart. You hear them say, like, yeah, you know, I got a, I got a foul mouth. I really need to work on it. You're going to be working on it for a long time. You can't work on it. You need to surrender it supernaturally the Holy Spirit will come and touch us and take things out of our lives because he is the one working inside of us giving us both the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now we make choices in the new covenant. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit. If he's nudging us and saying, hey, why don't you turn that song off? You're praying to be a faithful husband but you're listening to music that's all about sexual morality. Turn it off. We say yes or no. There's a discipline in the Christian life. Remember, verse 17 cost everything. Verse 16 is the gospel. Besides that, I'm not ashamed part, but the, the core of it's the gospel. That, that's free. Verse 17 cost our life. It cost everything. That's discipleship. So now, with that said, I want, I want to share with you uh, parts of an article from a Bible I have called the Fire Bible. But before we get there, Romans 16, verse 17 to 18 will be on the screen. And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Oh, that sounds mean. Well, maybe they'll get the point if people are staying away. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interest by smooth talk and glowing words. They deceive innocent People, smooth talk, glowing words, sounds like a lot of preachers today. I want to talk to you for a moment about false teachers. Not everyone, not every preacher and teacher is a true believer. 
Don't get lured into personalities, smoking lights, charisma, the music. There's some churches that I, I listen to their music. They, they are good in worship. But thank God, we, it, it gets right there. Because I'm not going to listen to their preaching. And it's not because I'm better than them. It's because it's wrong. Pastor Sal, how's it wrong? Well, if you're running into a building and hoping that some gold dust is going to fall through the vents and land on your lap, let me tell you, if that was true, the janitor would be the richest man in that building because I would have swept all that up, swept it up after every service. Churches tell you to lay on the grave of a former dead Christian and soak up their anointing. It's insane. And so not everyone is who they claim to be. Some false teachers start off with right motives, truth and purity and faith, but there's pride in the heart or there's an insecurity wanting acceptance or wanting success, wanting a name in the kingdom of God and immoral desires. They lose their love for and commitment to Jesus. They become instruments of Satan while disguising themselves. Some have never been Christians, and the devil plants them in churches from the start of their ministry. If you're a pastor in this room, if you're a pastor, you're streaming, you're, you're listening, ministry leaders, listen. We need to care about people's character more than what they could bring to the table. We need to help them in their personal relationship with Jesus. It's not that people need to be perfect to serve in the house of God, but it needs to be valued as a high calling. Matter of fact, if it's made too easy, then most people won't serve because it's not valued. Woman, ladies that are single in here, let me, let me tell you, if you, you go on a date, that first date, and you're, you're going out, you're praying, you're hoping you're going to get married, and it comes time for the check, and he says to split it, it's not the will of God. <laughs> if he can't value you, don't make it easy. Don't make it easy. We need to help people serve where they have their spiritual gifts at. What part of the body they're supposed to be in. Where they're called. Because on a rainy day, people won't come. When they're not sure if they have enough money to put gas into the car and, and make it to their post. Or maybe they have to cut out a family engagement a little early the night before so they can wake up earlier and on time and be in the nursery and in children's ministry on time. You can say amen to that one because I know that's a real one. And so they would be there on time and Pastor Stephanie and Morgan aren't running around looking for people. Because they said, I'm going to set my alarm clock. I'm going to discipline myself that way. And I'm going to serve where God has called me. John 5, 43 to 44. I shared this last week to Pastor Daniel and to the church. For I've come to you in my Father's name. This is Jesus speaking. And you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe. For you gladly honor each other. But you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Folks, there are preachers. I really believe this is for preachers today that come in their own name. Now, they don't just come out and say, hey, look at me, worship me. But they, our flesh is always our flesh. It never changes after we become born again. The flesh is the flesh. It's the Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul said, all of you, none of me. You must increase. 
I must decrease. Because there are preachers out there that will speak to your flesh. And you know what our flesh will do? It will like it. Yeah, I can do this. I can get my best life now. Listen, Joel Olstein, our best life is in heaven. Okay? Our best life is not now. If you're waiting for earth to give you your best life, you're missing it as a Christian. And so they go in their own name. There's only a horizontal honoring going on and a forgetting of who Jesus is and the work on the cross. And so they'll speak to our flesh, and our flesh likes it. And you know what's our flesh going to do? Our flesh is like a, it's like a drug. We want more, and we want more, and we're never satisfied. Our flesh is never satisfied. And so we'll keep coming back to their words. We'll keep coming back to their words. Satan places these people in these positions to hurt the work of Christ. Now, how do you discern false teachers? One, by their character. Are they honest with God, active and consistent prayer life, people of integrity, fruit of the spirit, love the lost, hate evil, love truth, preach against sin and avoid all forms of it in their own lives? What are their motives like? Do they honor Jesus above all, lead the church into intimacy with the Lord and holiness? A word that we don't like to say. Holiness is separation from the things of this world. The Bible says without holiness, no one sees the Lord. As you're leading to the lost, to Jesus, not trying to build their kingdom. I love what Pastor Daniel said last Sunday. He told the people online that are in Florida to find a church. Evaluate the fruit. The person with ungodly character will show the fruit of ungodliness. Their message will hide the truth, confuse people, cause division in the church. Those who follow these teachers will themselves not be fully surrendered and committed to God's word. They will go after your flesh. A church recently said they got so much tithing money in that they were giving a million dollars back to the congregation. Somebody wrote an article that they had a spiritual lottery. I was in a conference room with Chris, our worship director, and Joey, our video technician man. And we, we, we saw a video, and, and it was a church, and these two pastors were, were dancing and running through the, the altar. It was right on the altar. And there was cash from one end of the altar to the other. And they were just, I don't know if they were saying more money, whatever they were saying, just dancing and running, dancing and running, and more people were coming and throwing money on the altar. And, and I, I don't know what's, what's worse, that, that they're a table of devils, these people aren't real teachers of the word of God, they're fake believers, or that the people believe it. We have to discern their level of reliance on God's word. Reject the message if it does not align with the word of God. You need to know the word of God. If you don't know the word of God, two things will happen. One, you'll believe everyone, or two, you won't believe anyone. You won't trust anyone then. But if you can go back, anything that I share today, go back yourself. Check it out. Be like the Bereans in the book of Acts. Check it out yourself. Test it. Test what Pastor Daniel preaches. Test it. Test the person's integrity in the area of handling the Lord's money. Do they refuse to take large amounts for themselves? Do they handle all finances with the highest sense of truth and responsibility? Is the money being used to further the work of God in line with what we see in the Bible? 1 Timothy 4.16 says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Another translation says doctrine. In other words, pay attention. 
to what you believe. Pay attention to what you're listening to. Pay attention to who you stream and what podcast you go to. Pay attention to what's preached here. Pay attention to what I'm preaching right now. Pay close attention. Because either you're going to believe everything or believe no one. But there is truth being preached, and I thank God for that. Pay attention. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Now, false gospels. We're going to talk about some false gospels because Paul's not ashamed of the gospel. The reason why he's not ashamed to, if he had to get thrown into the lion's den and, and the other Christians that are getting lit for torches by Nero and all those other things is because it's a true gospel. But there's some false gospels out there. I said it in the first service, I'll say it again, I love my country. Probably is not as patriotic as some. I have little kids, I'm tired. My wife more, and certain holidays, they'll have their American flag shirts on and all those other things. And, but I love my country. Now, my, my father was born in Italy, my mom from Staten Island, both Italian backgrounds. My, my wife is Puerto Rican and Irish. And so our kids are Italian, I have to say Italian first, plus we're in the Book of Romans. And so, um, you know, Italian, Puerto Rican, and Irish. Finally, we get to the, our people, Pastor Daniel, thank you. And so, um, and, we, and we don't shy away from celebrating culture, but I, I got to tell you, Christ is way above, way above all those things, way, way above because you have to be careful, because there are, the first false gospel I want to talk to you about is the political gospel. You have the gospel message attached to a certain political party, and, 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 and I told the first service, I'm neither a Republican or a Democrat. Um, just let me, let me give you a tip about voting. Am I, am I not allowed to talk about voting in church? I'm going to say it anyway. And so let me give you a tip about voting. You got to get your own personal feelings out of that stuff. Get the Bible and look at the policy and vote policies, okay? Because there's some ungodly policies that are out there that you need to take a stand for and stand against. And so there's a political gospel that says, you know, jo join Jesus and my party. There's more Christians trying to convert people to certain political parties than they are to Jesus. And be careful of the political gospel, we want to see people saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, winning others to Jesus. Because if that political gospel seeps into your heart, are you going to be okay with Romans 1.16 that says it's for everybody? Prosperity gospel. Now, I think a lot of us know about the name it, claim it, and God will give you whatever you want, make your life so happy. But it's not just finances. It's also a prosperity gospel, a personal destiny. Destiny, destiny, destiny. Or, or a lot of the young people that I work with, it's, it, it's like you, you hear them just gravitate towards this stuff. Destiny. God's going to make your life great. You're going to be someone in the kingdom of God. The apostle Paul said, the Holy Spirit told him this. City after city, jail and suffering lie ahead. That's prosperity. What if God tells you to lay down your job that is very financially successful and go be a missionary somewhere. Is that still prosperity? In God's kingdom, it's successful. So be careful. Those prosperity preachers, they, they want you to give money here and do this and do that. When you're sick, call them and see if anybody from that office calls you back. 
Pastor Carter Conlon would say that if you can't preach the message in every single country around the world, it's not the gospel. If I can't preach in any country, any situation, any place, anywhere, what I'm saying right now, and I have to change the message, it's not the gospel. Self-help gospel, this is fake Christianity. The Bible says that Lazarus died and it became a testimony. There was a man named Lazarus in the Bible, and he was eating at a table with Jesus, and they were so mad that he was there. He was a testimony of God's glory, and they wanted to kill not only Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus. But the, the thing is, though, he was already dead not that long before that. It's amazing in that story, the only man that could do anything for the glory of God was a dead man. So the self-help Christianity doesn't work. It's all of him and none of me. The Bible says that the only good in the believer is Jesus. My question is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that there's nothing good in you but Jesus? The faster we come to that realization, the faster we see victory and freedom in our lives. Not ashamed of the gospel. When I first became a Christian, people used to say, you have a crutch, it's a crutch. And then, and then the Lord told me, it's, it's not a crutch, it's a death. It's not even a wheelchair. Not ashamed of the gospel. We have a society that's ashamed of righteousness. I shared in the first service, came across a news program recently. I was watching and they were talking about the drug problem in our country and, and one of the people in, the, in that panel group of people said, you know what, there's such a demand, let's just give it to them. We need to find a way to give it to them. The demand is so high. People are ashamed of righteousness. They're ashamed for what's true and right. And if you don't want to be ashamed of the gospel, I want to tell you that that means we're not ashamed of Jesus himself. The Bible says that Jesus is the word, so we're not ashamed of the word. We're not ashamed of the person of Jesus Christ, not just the truth and the doctrine of the gospel, but Jesus himself. We're not ashamed of our need for Jesus, that we can come to him in our desperation, knowing that we are nothing apart from you. I can do nothing of value or worth apart from Jesus Christ. If we're not ashamed of the gospel, then we're not ashamed that there's only one way to heaven. There is no other way. I want to tell you that if you have something in your heart that's hoping that at the end of time, all those people that you see on Saturday, uh, uh, yeah, Saturday walking around, and you're hoping maybe, just maybe, God will let those guys in, or maybe, just maybe, God will let the, my coworker in who's Muslim, maybe, just maybe, God will let in the, the, the person who declares a homosexual lifestyle and says, this is the way God made me, and I don't need the Lord. Maybe, just maybe, you, you're hoping that there's another way in. Jesus makes it very clear. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So to not be ashamed of the gospel is to know that there is one way to heaven. It's only a low door. It's repentance and belief. It's open and available to everyone, but there's only one way in. It's not based on our good works. It's not based on our striving, our efforts, how much we serve or don't serve. It's not based on if we tithe or don't tithe. It's based on, based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. To the man that's in this room, maybe you need to get up tomorrow morning and when you go to work, if you're not ashamed of the gospel and you've been flirting with that lady at work, maybe you need to go and say, listen, I'm sorry. I've been a bad testimony. I'm a Christian. Don't talk to me anymore. I'm going back to my wife. 
then you need to ask her for forgiveness. Ma'am, maybe when your coworkers go out to the bar, you let them know, hey, listen, I'm not going with you. The church has spent too much time trying to be so cool and so relevant. They've tried so hard to, to, to be just like the world. They tried so hard thinking that maybe, maybe they were looking for a difference. They're looking for life. They're looking for a contrast. They're not looking for people who could go to the same places they go to, do the same things they do, drink the same things they drink, speak the same way they speak. They're looking for a contrast. They're not even looking for perfection. They're just looking for someone, someone, someone who is real enough to know that they know God and the person can tell that they know God. And so maybe you got to tell your coworkers, you know what, I, I have a joy that's greater than what you can find at that bar if you let me tell you. I shared in the first service, and I think about the men from, from Brooklyn Adult and Teen Challenge. I was 12 or 13 years old when, when I went to the deli, stole a bottle of alcohol, and that's the first time I began to drink. And then there were many, 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 many times after being drunk, I should be dead and in hell until I was 21 years old. It's amazing. I became legal and then became a Christian. Praise God. Because <laughs> I know a lot of Christians that are waiting for that 21st birthday. What are you waiting for? You're not missing out on anything. You were never missing out on anything. And so, I gave my life to Jesus. He completely delivered me from every desire to drink. He gave me a real joy. I've never, never, never had a desire again. And then I had an uncle who struggled with alcohol. And I remember reading in the Bible, it says, don't be a stumbling block. Don't, don't let someone trip over your life. Be a testimony. And, I, and it convicted me. And it said, you know what, I, I got to make a choice. See, years later, that same uncle in the Veterans Hospital in, I think, Fort Hamilton area of Brooklyn, you know, my wife and I, we were going to Long Island, actually. We were into that now, visiting family, going back to Long Island, and where we lived for a little bit and got a call that he was dying and we went into that room and we had an opportunity to lead him to the Lord and pray with him and, and I wonder, I, I wonder if he would have been as receptive if he would have saw me doing the same things he did. Folks, we, we lose our authority when we compromise. They're not looking for perfection, they're looking for honesty. Young people, when you go to your campus, you go hang out with your friends and they get in your car and someone's not a believer, I'm going to tell you right now, one, I, I'm telling you as someone who became a Christian at 21 years old, and I was looking, I was watching. You go into your car and, and, and you turn your little knob or whatever you have in your car, and your radio comes on, and it has the numbers 97.1, that person just lost all respect for you. They were looking for something different. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to worship Jesus in that car. Don't be ashamed to be different. Don't be ashamed. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. The Bible says there's no one good. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. The Bible says, he who's forgiven much loves much. Now that doesn't mean we had to live a horrendous lifestyle in order to really love Jesus. It's an understanding of God's holiness and we understand that we sin so much that we're forgiven for so much 
God's mercy is so amazing. His love is so incredible that we begin to fall in love with Jesus. We begin to fall in love with him. Folks, we sin all the time. I, I, I know that some of you don't think that, but right now you thinking that was a motivation of pride, so you just sin. Sorry. But for real, our motives, our reactions, how we treat people, things we don't even know we do. And we realize how much we sin and how much we're forgiven. We begin to fall in love with Jesus. Verse 16 is salvation. Verse 17 is discipleship. But verse 16, and I want to I wanna give people an opportunity that if you've never been born again, you've never been forgiven of your sin, Maybe you thought you just believe and you don't repent. Maybe you've tried really hard to be good, but you don't really believe in Jesus. But today, let those two things come together. If you've never been born again, heaven, you, you don't know if heaven's your home. Jesus Christ is something that is out there. We heard it in some of the testimonies today. Grew up in a Christian home. Grew up hearing the things about God, but Satan comes for keeps. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He comes for your life. He comes for keeps. He's not playing games, and neither is God. Thank you, Pastor Daniel, for leading a church to not play games. Thank you. This is not a game. This is not a game. It's eternity is at stake. You've never been born again. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right now, wherever you are, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus. I want to pray with you. If you're in this place, listen to me. If you're in this place, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You don't even like what I'm saying right now. You're hoping that this is over soon. And that's okay. That's okay. Jesus preached sometimes, and the crowds were less next week. That's okay. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, and you want to say, I want to be born again. I want to be forgiven. I want heaven as my home. I want that new heart, that new mind, that new spirit. I want to be changed. I want the, the power of God inside of my life changing me. I want to pray with you. If there's anyone in that room, this room right now with, with every head up and eyes open, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you're in this room. Raise your hand. Any hands? Any hands? Any hands? So you know what that means. I want to make sure I don't miss anyone. I don't think anyone raised their hand today. Anyone? Oh, thank you. Praise God. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? I see your hand. Praise God. Sorry, I almost missed you. Well, if you raised your hand and I didn't see you, that doesn't really matter. Those that did raise their hand, I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray a prayer of repentance. And it's not my words. It's nothing to do with my words, really. It, it has to be from your heart, okay? It has to be from your heart. It, it has to be. I'm just helping you. You know, when you go to the card store and you're not too sure what to write on your birthday card for somebody and you're looking through it, they're helping you. They're helping you. I'm just helping you. You just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I turn away from sinning. But I got no strength to live right, God. So I'm turning to you, Jesus. Forgive me for my sin. I believe you died for me. So I surrender my heart to you. Jesus, 
be my Lord and Savior. Take my life and use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The rest of us, let's stand up. We're not done. We're not done. We're not done. Let me tell you, the, the Knicks, they got a long way to go. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1:26-31. I won't read it all, but you can go back and read it on your own. The Bible tells us, remember, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes. Few of us were powerful when God called us. Few of us were strong. Few of us were wealthy. Few of us were even smart. How many of you know that since you became a Christian, it's amazing how intelligent you got, right? Isn't that incredible? Incredible that you spent all these years in school and, and then all of a sudden God gives you a new mind and we have more wisdom than, than some of the leaders of our country. Incredible. It's incredible. Incredible. But he says, never forget. He chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. No boasting in the presence of God. We surrender our lives to Jesus. He, he puts a love in our heart, right, for people. He puts a love in our heart, and then years go by, and, 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 and we forget that it's the promises and the power of God, and then we pick up all these books about how to be a loving Christian. I'm not against books, but folks, it's the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. Never forget. Never forget who saved your soul. Never forget the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Never forget that God deserves it all. And never forget and go back to the simplicity that's in Christ Jesus. I'm going to close with this. Mark chapter 3. Jesus goes into the synagogue. He goes into the church. And he notices a man with a deformed hand. You know what that means? He means he notices our weaknesses. We came into this building this morning. He knows where we're, we're deformed. He knows what's crooked. He knows what's not working. He knows what's weak. He knows what needs healing. He knows. He knows. You walked in. Some of us, I'm telling you, not to pick on the balcony because, you know, the, there's spiritual people on the balcony. But some of us, we, we, we come in and we scoop in and we... we People were upset last week the downstairs door was locked for security reasons. And so, you know, then you got to come in here and then you got to go up the stairs and you can't even see it's so dark, I know. And you get up there and you're like, whew, nobody sees me. But Jesus saw you. He saw you when you walked up there and he saw us in the front row. He saw us. He saw us in the, he, he sees you, Joey, up there, and he sees Greg in the booth and the taxes and Jeevan, and he sees me, and he sees all of us, and he sees the people outside in the lobby. He sees the cafe. He sees it all, and he, and he knows what's deformed. He knows what's not working. And then he does something. He gives an altar call. Some of us, if we wonder, where are altar calls in the Bible? This is an incredible altar call because it's, it's one person he's calling out. He says to the man with the deformed hand, now, that could have been kind of embarrassing. But Jesus was about to do something that's greater. And he says, come. Come and stand in front of everyone. What humility. Come and stand in front of everyone. And he said to the man, hold out your hand. The man holds out his hand and it was restored. Listen, I'm not going to ask you what the issue is. But if you're struggling with something, that's the altar call. I'm going to tell you what time it is. Those of you that don't know, it's 12.51 on that clock. So what? For real, think about it. Think about it. 
think about it. If the man in Mark turns around and says, you know what? Sorry, I need to go watch the local soccer team play. And Jesus calls him and he walks away. He walks away deformed. He walks away without the power and the strength that he needs to do what God's called him to do. That's it. Verse 16 is the gospel. Verse 17 costs everything. What's the everything? It's our yes. It's our yes. It's our, it's, our, it's our mind. It's our heart. It's our will. It's everything. And he says, just give it to me. Some of us have been trying so hard to be God. I'm talking to the Christians. You've tried so hard to be God. You've tried so hard to get out of certain things. You've tried, you're striving, you're trying, you're exhausted. There's anxiety in your life because you're trying so hard. You get up in the morning and you're just wishing this thing won't swallow you up. Chris, I don't know if you remember this or Pastor Edwin. Pastor Carter used to say the promise, it's, it's like the Red Sea, just like all the promises of God just swallow up the enemy. He just swallows up the enemy. All the promises of God swallow up the enemy. And for some of you, you've been striving. You've been, you, you've been exhausted. And all Jesus says is come. What's the work? Just believe. Would you give him a shot? Will you give him a shot this morning, this afternoon? Some of you that there's arguing in the home. Just give him a shot. There's struggle with pornography. Give him a shot. There's anger. There's there's there, there's there's adultery, there's all types of stuff that could be going on. Just give them a shot. There's addictions, there's, there's anxieties, these fears. Just bring your deformed hand. And I got to tell you, I, I came with my deformed hand this week. This isn't something that I'm just sharing with you guys. You give them the deformed hand. Just let them touch you. That's the altar call. You have a choice. When I turn around and say, the worship team's about to worship, some of you may walk out. 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Some of you may stay in your seat because fear holds us back from coming to the altar. That guy couldn't care less. But you know who left with the miracle? Not the Pharisees that were pointing fingers at them. Let me tell you something. We won't point fingers at you. Pastor Daniel's not going to point fingers at you. I'm not going to point fingers at you. Any, anyone who points a finger at you, you come tell us. We don't, we're not a finger-pointing church that people come to this altar and we say, oh, look how messed up they are. We're all messed up, folks. You come. We're going to have an altar call. Give them a chance. Give God the chance to make what's crooked straight. Father, I pray, please. Lord, I can't do it. There's no one in this room that can do it. Jesus, only you can do it. That's what we preached. Verse 16, gospel. Verse 17, faith to faith. We're just coming by faith. Even if you have a little bit of faith, even if you got just a tiny bit left, just give it to him. God, you can take the little bit and multiply it. I pray we respond now. We receive people free, delivered, testimonies. We love Brooklyn Adult and Teen Challenge, but God, now we want more testimonies from Grace Point Gospel Fellowship. We want more testimonies of people saying, this is what I once was, this is what I struggled with, this is how I was. Maybe there's a prejudice in the heart, maybe there's a racism in the heart, maybe there's whatever it may be, but you can give it to him. And he will do it. He promised, he promised, he 
promise, not me. Thank God I don't have to make the promise because I can't keep it. He promised in Jesus' name. You can come.